this will be my last talk. Um, I may not see many of you for uh, until we see each other in heaven. So it's, it's possible, you know, Melbourne's a very distant land to me, right? Um, the four corners of the earth, you know, Melbourne, um, Sahara Desert, and who knows? <laughs> right. uh, but yeah, I, um, uh, you know, God, God willing, we'll see each other again. And um, uh, well, I know for sure. So let's go into the passage. Um, we're looking at the final chapter of Exodus. Uh, Exodus comes before Leviticus. So that's important because you could just turn to Leviticus and turn one page over. And you're on the final chapter, chapter 40. We're looking at verse 34 to 38. 34 to 38. Now, uh, just I have not told anyone in this camp beforehand what I was going to preach on. I didn't tell them the passages. Uh, I should have communicated that more. I'm really sorry about that. But um, I think the blessing has been, I, I don't know if you've noticed, but the songs we've sung are very pertinent to the passages that we've been reading. And so, yeah. Um, today we are looking at the glory of God. Exodus chapter 40, verse 34 to 38. And this is the word of God. Then the clouds covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up when they did not set out till the day that it was taken up, the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and fire was in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are a God who is worthy of our worship. You And as we... Think about your glory. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be moved, that we would be transformed, that as we go from here and go back into the world, may may there be a mass exodus, an exodus from our hearts, from this world, an exodus from people from slavery into worship with you. Lord, be with us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, I want everyone to stand up. Do a little stretch. Stretch. You know, um, you know I, I think yesterday was a record of how early you guys slept on the last night. Uh, I heard people say two, and I was like, what? On the last night? Wow. That's, yeah, you guys can sit down. When, when you're properly stretched, you can sit down. Uh, If you hear your brother or sister snoring next to you, just give them a little nudge. Um, Yeah, I will not be, I will not be upset at you if, yeah, I see you guys uh, praying. (laughs) Um, I, I would visit these places, uh, holidays, go to these places that, you know, it's different from home. Growing up in LA, I was used to a certain environment, a uh, certain structure, and uh, you know, you, you go to these places. 
And um, I remember going, visiting Sydney for the first time, visiting Australia for the first time. I went to Sydney. And as I came into Sydney, uh, one of the things the uh, people that were taking care of my group did was they took us to some great spots. And one of the spots they took us was a place called Bondi Beach. Now, if you don't know, Bondi Beach is where heaven meets earth. Heaven. It's this amazing beach in Sydney. It's a tourist beach. And it's actually, if you talk to any Sydney sider, they'll be like, oh, yeah, Bondi is okay, but it's probably one of our crappier beaches. Um, they have amazing, less, less uh, people beaches, right? Less busy beaches. And so Bondi is very busy, but for an American, when I went there, arrived there, I was like, wow, wow, look at the sand. It's white, white sand beaches, wow. <gasps> look at the water, oh, crystal clear. <gasps> you can see your feet, you know? And then, you know, there's not like little cans or plastic bags floating around. And it's like, wow, it's so beautiful. It's this beautiful beach. And when I saw you look up at the sky and, you know, there's not that haze of smog. I was like, there's these like white clouds, fluffy cotton candy floating in the sky. And I'm like, wow. And it was so beautiful that at some point, at some point, I didn't realize this, but I had stopped. I had stopped walking and I was just staring, just admiring the beauty. And the people around me, you know, they had to backtrack. They're like, hey, where's Alec? Like, they're like, oh, why did it get so quiet all of a sudden? It was in the middle of a busy beach, but they're like, something's missing. <laughs> and they realized I was back there, and so they came and picked me up. And they're like, oh, you know, and I was, oh, I'm sorry. And came. There are times when you see something, there are times when you see something and it stops you. Something, something you notice, something you, you, you realize, you stop, and it stops you, and it, it makes, it, it, it changes you. You know, um, I hear so much about Melbourne coffee. I've, only Melbourne coffee I, I've had have been at campsites. And it's usually a button you push and it goes, right? Uh, that's the only coffee I've had in Melbourne, so I don't, I've never really tried Melbourne coffee. But I hear, I hear Sydney ciders, Wait, and I think Sydney coffee is the best. I've never had better coffee than Sydney. And I'm like, I'm sure Melbourne coffee is amazing. But I'm like, how? How can it be better than this? But I hear Sydney ciders coming back from Melbourne visit, and they're like, it's true. Their coffee's better. It's how good can coffee be that you drink it? And you would betray the ones that, <laughs> uh, and you know, and you go, wow, wow. I don't know if you've ever tasted something. You, you know, this morning's breakfast. I ate when I ate that yolk. I was like, oh, I had to stop. Or you, you, you look at somebody and you see this beauty in this person, and it makes you stop. It makes you go, wow. You see something beautiful, you see something glorious, and it affects you physically. It affects you emotionally. Um, when, um, when I started ministry, I started with youth ministry, and one of the things when you start, when you do anything with ministry, one of the things you don't pray to God is, God, anybody but, 
So this has happened to me twice, big time. First time it was, I was like, God, thank you that I will never have to go to Australia. I was watching a, a top 10 most poisonous animals in the world. And it went from 10, 9, and at, at about 5, halfway through, I'm like, hey, there's a pattern. Let me guess, number 6 is going to be, or number 4, uh, number, it would be number 5, number 4. I, it's going to be Australia. And sure enough, it's Australia. I was like, why are all the poisonous animals in Australia? And I remember distinctly saying this prayer at the end of it. You know, it's box jellyfish or irikanji. And they're tied for first. You know, one drop can kill like 400 people. Something like that. I was like, I remember praying this prayer. God, thank you. Thank you that I will never have to go to Australia. Don't pray this prayer. Anything but. Hey, God, you know, send me to anyone, but, yeah, that's, that's a, oh, challenge accepted. Well, when I started youth ministry, uh, when I started ministry, I remember distinctly thinking, God, anywhere, any, any people, you know, I don't mind if it's senior high school, because I, you know, they're, uh, we're similar age. I was very young back then. We're similar age. You know, I don't mind, like, uni students, you know, we're similar age. I don't mind kids, but not junior high. Junior high is that uh, lower, um, lower high school. No, please, years six, seven, eight, nine. Right? I was like, just not them, because there's, there's something wrong with them. That's a, that's a difficult season in their life, and I don't want to be there during that season, right? So I was like, Any, anybody but. And I, I, I prayed that prayer. And my first official pastoral ministry position was the junior high pastor. And I remember coming in and we would come in to worship and we would be praising on Sunday. And there's over a hundred kids sitting in this small room, a room about this size. And I remember sitting in the back and watching them as they talked to each other. At some point I was like, you know what? This is too disrespectful. We're not gonna do this anymore. And so I stopped. The praise team. I was like, I'm sorry. I know you, you prepared all this, but no, we're not going to disrespect God like this. And I stopped them. Well, after that, something something changed. Something changed in these junior high kids because they're like, oh, we can't talk during, during praise. So what did they do? Absolutely nothing. It was amazing watching these kids looking at the screen, reading the word, the words were like, all glory to God, you know, like, uh, I love you, Lord, and things like that. And they're sitting there, and the position they were in is, they're all were standing, slightly bent forward. I don't know why. Slightly bent forward. So they're like this. Their hands are just hanging. That's why I knew they were slightly bent forward. Because it, was hang- it wasn't hanging on the side. And they would look up, they're looking at the screen, and then their face, all the muscles on their face are relaxed, and then their eyes are drooping, and they're like, and they just stared. And I looked at them, and I was like, dude, are they hibernating, right? And I'm like, move your hand, and you know, and they wake up, oh, yeah. But they would sit there, and they just stare. I remember looking at them, and going, 
Wow. Wow, it's an attempt. It's an attempt to be as passionless as possible. Because when, when, when you're in that stage of life, it is almost uncool to have any level of passion for anything. And so when you saw them, you would see this look of like, just boring, just nothing. And I remember looking at this one kid in particular, this one kid when normally throughout the day, he's actually really wild. And, but during praise, he's like, and he would do that. And I remember thinking like, God, can anything move this kid's soul? A few, few months later, I, I get to know these kids really well. And this kid comes running into the fellowship hall. He runs in and he's crying. He's like, no, no, screaming at the top of his lungs. And he's, he's passionate. And I'm like, who is this kid? I've never seen, and I'm, I'm scared. I'm like, what happened? What happened? Because he's crying and screaming. And he's like, it's not fair. It's not fair. And he's down on his knees and he's like crying. And I go, what happened? What's wrong? And he goes, those referees are so unfair. I was like, what? Referees? Referees for what? And he looks at me with this like, are you serious? Do you really not know? Like, you know? Korea's been knocked out of the World Cup because the referees were corrupt. And I was like, this is about soccer? <laughs> soccer, the most boring sport. No, no, I looked at him and I was like amazed. I was amazed that this kid can show some level of passion. Why? Because for soccer, for this game, it was glory to him. It was a source of glory to him. For many of us here, there is something. There is something that moves our heart. There is something that that drives us. And for most of us, when we think about God, we're not thinking about his glory. We're not thinking about his beauty. We're not thinking in terms of, wow, wow, I am in awe. For most of us, God is just something we do every week on Sunday amongst the people of God. For most of us, it doesn't seem like there is any movement of our hearts when we see God. When we look at Exodus, we're at the final chapter of Exodus and we're looking at this moment when God comes down on His tabernacle in, in the tent. And you have to realize for the past 10 or so chapters, it's been talking about how to build this tent, this tent of meeting. If you look at Exodus, it's a, I said it earlier, I used a technical term, it's a chiasm, a chiasm, there's a symmetry. And on one side of the chiasm is, um, if something happens, on the other side, something similar is going to happen. This, this happens in the Bible all the time. Sometimes it's a verse, one verse, a middle verse and an end verse. And those three verses, when you look at them together, you realize the third verse, it's symmetry, the first verse. And by looking at this, you can see the most important part is that middle part. And yesterday I said that the most important passage, the peak, the pinnacle of the book of Exodus 
is that part, that covenant that God makes with Moses and with his people. Because something transitions from there. At the beginning of Exodus, at the beginning of Exodus, we see what, what's wrong, what's the problem in the, at the beginning of Exodus? Why is it called Exodus? Because they're trying to leave. They're trying to exit this, this, this land of Egypt. They're slaves there. And while they're there, what's, what are they slaves? What are they doing? They're building. They're building something. They have to build stuff with, with bricks and they're not allowed to use straws at some point. They're building something. What are they building? They're building a house for Pharaoh. And in so doing, what are they doing? The word, word that they use is uh, the Hebrew word, ebed. And ebed can mean two things, two ways in which it's used throughout the Old Testament. It's serve and worship. The word serve and worship can be used interchangeably in the Old Testament. Because you, what you worship, you serve. What you put value in, you serve. If you think your value is in riches, is in wealth, you will serve that master. You will serve that master with all your heart. If you worship that thing, if you worship a person, your, your significant other or uh, a girl you like, a guy you like, you will serve that par- person with all your heart. If you worship studies, if you worship family, you will, you will serve them with all your heart. That's just the way our hearts work. That's just the way we work. That's what motivates us. But at the end of Exodus, at this moment, the the tabernacle has been made. And what are people doing at the tabernacle? What have they done at the at the when they built the tabernacle? They've built the house of God. And what are they doing? They are worshiping. Do you see the symmetry there? You see, we are exiting. We are exiting a place. The place we want to exit is the place of worship. Worship of this world. Worship of the things that this world says, this is worthy of worship. You know, you, you look at, um, uh, there's things called influencers. You know, like 10 years ago, that wasn't a thing. Influencers, there wasn't such thing. You know, influencers were like, you know, top CEOs and things like that. Now, what's an influencer? What's the top, prior, uh, top criteria for being an influencer? It's looks. Did you know that? I didn't know this. It's, it's not, you can't be ugly and be an influencer. Isn't that weird? You, you can actually be rich, rich and ugly, and not be, you can't be an influencer. People can look at you and go, hey, you know what? I'll take your advice on wealth and stuff like that, but you're not an influencer. I'm not going to follow your TikTok page. Right? What? It's looks. And you will, people follow these influencers, and they're called influencers because they influence people. They get people to do things. By saying stuff like, wow, this restaurant is really nice. 
that restaurant suddenly has customers. That's influence. That's power. That's worship. You worship. You worship what you want to be. You serve them. The style trends of this day, you know, is affected by influencers. You know, when, uh, you know, growing up, you know, I never, I never would have imagined that this is what people would look like. This is how people would dress. I, you know, um, I would wake up in the morning and um, I had this problem. I, you know, I was a, I was a, I don't, you, can't, you probably can't tell now, but I was a bit of a dork growing up. Now, I'm really cool and awesome now. But growing up, I, I, I was a dork. I was a nerd and I wasn't, I wasn't a smart nerd. I was one of the stupid nerds, which you can't be. It's something less than a nerd then, right? So I guess a dork. I was a dork, right? And uh, one of the things that made me a dork was when I woke up in the morning, my hair would have like, it would be molded in a certain way. And because I moved enough in my sleep, my hair did this weird thing where it would like mohawk. It would push up naturally. It just looked like, and I would be like, oh, my hair's so messy. Now I'd have to try and work on it, make it look nice. And it never looked nice. You know what's weird? Like, I, I, th- I don't know if it's still the style, but like about 10 years ago, it became a style. People put like gel in their hair, wax in their hair, and try to make their hair in that, that way. And I was like, hang on. I was doing that before it was cool. <laughs> Right? It was natural, right? And I, I, I'm like, wow, it, the, the trends, they change. And that's this world. You follow this world, you're constantly chasing the trends. You're constantly trying to be like something. And the issue is, this world is always judging you. Be like us or else. And it's a, it demands worship. It demands worship at a level that is all-consuming. And this world says, you know, freedom. You know, like, if you believe in God, you have to do what God says. But if you, no. It's worse. Because you're just following a bunch of people. Whatever the popular trends are doing. How do you keep yourself from this? You exit. You exit and you look at glory. You look at glory. There was a, a guy in my school, short guy, short um, Asian guy, and he was just stocky. Didn't look like he could fight. But very early on in school, he just started beating people up like bigger guys. He didn't pick on like smaller guys. He went after the big guys. And he would just go, hey, come here. And when the guy didn't come, he'd go, okay, you're not gonna listen. I'm gonna make you listen. And he would fight these guys for no reason. These guys were like uh, potential gangsters, you know? And he would just fight them and he just, just pummel them. And very quickly, people were like, oh, hang on, this guy's a fighter. This guy's somebody to respect. 
And people started to follow him. People and anybody who was, who was with him would gain, would, would be, have his protection. And I remember looking at that and thinking, yeah, I need to be in that group. I need to be with this guy. Why? Because it's scary. You know, junior high is scary. People, they're, they're passionate about stuff they shouldn't be passionate about, right? Soccer, yeah. <laughs> um, but I would see these, this, this, um, this guy and I'd be like, wow, what is it about him? Why did he do that? He was displaying his power. And people wanted to follow that power. If you think about God, there is no one more powerful, no one more worthy of respect. There are, it, there are times in the Bible where God displays His power, and His power is great. At some point, He decides, I'm going to wipe out humanity. And He wipes out humanity except for those He wants to save. At some point, at some point, he decides, you know what? These people are getting too strong. They're getting too, uh, you know, together. And he hits, strikes them. He strikes them with one blow, and suddenly they don't understand each other. When he goes to Egypt, he, you know, at, as soon as Moses strikes that Nile River, and he performs that first plague, that first miracle, that first sign and wonder. If it was any other person, they would have been like, hang on, whoa, 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 whoa. You're going to mess with our water? No, 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 you guys can go. But he made sure that Pharaoh said no ten times. Why? To display his power, to display his might. Because we have to first see that God is somebody to be feared. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And that fear is not just, you know, respect fear. I know people go, oh, you don't want to fear God and that, you know. No, you have to think, this is the one person you should be most afraid of. Because that which you fear, you worship. That which you fear, you will act upon. When I see a spider in the car, my youth has a problem with spiders. Like huntsmen, for some reason, I'm, they just appear in my youth all the time. And when they do, even if they're on the outside, this has happened to me once, they're on the outside of the car, I'm terrified. Why? because that spider is going to break the glass and come in and attack me, right? No. No, of course that's not going to happen. But my irrational fear is that this spider is something scary to me. It's an irrational fear. If anything, the spider should be afraid of me, right? Because, you know, Asian driver. No, I'm kidding. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, no, uh, it should be afraid of me because I'm, I'm much bigger than him, you know. I might not be poisonous, but bam, it's dead, right? But I'm scared to death of this spider. So scared of this spider that I'm not paying attention to the road. I'm trying to figure out where is this spider. Because when I exit the car, I want to make sure the spider's on the other side. 
You know, like, so I'm constantly looking. I actually pulled over into a petrol station to try and, like, pour petrol in my youth and light it on fire. No, I was, I was terrified. I had to pull over, and I went to the petrol station, and I was looking for it for... This little guy went into the car where you opened up. I was like, you know what? I give up. I can't find that. I'm going to, oh, there you are. Right? Terrified of spiders. And that affects me. That makes me move. The problem is when we think about God, we're more scared of the irrational things around him. We're more afraid of what the world thinks about us when we should be more afraid of God and His judgment. We're more afraid of the world judging us than we are afraid of God judging us. When you are truly afraid of God, when you truly fear God, fear His power, realize His power, then anything that the world says, it doesn't compare. What I should have been afraid while driving is that two-ton truck, you know, that is in the other lane that if I don't focus on the road, I could run in right into it. But what? I was afraid of this little spider that's outside the car. It has no way of getting in. Yeah, it has ways of getting in. You know, why was I so afraid of that when I should have been afraid of the, like, two-ton? Why? Irrational. It's because we can't see the bigger picture. We can't see. But when I talk about glory, when, when just being afraid of God is not enough, that's the beginning of wisdom. But if you're just afraid of Him, then there's, there's not going to be any love. I was afraid of my father. My father was a very strong and violent man. You know, he was a carpenter. When other kids would hide their, the stick that their dad hit him with, you know, I couldn't do that because it was everywhere. You know, all the broken pieces of wood that he cut, you know, it was all over. he just go outside and get, you know. And he would, my dad, he had this theory like, you know, my, I would never hit my child with a thin stick because it's like whipping an animal. Bring me the two by four. You know, like, it had to be big and flat and maximum amount of pain, least amount of, like, damage, right? Just pow! I was afraid of my dad. That's not a relationship. That's not a good relationship. That's, it sounds like he's abusive, right? I loved my dad. He was an amazing dad to me. Why? Because it wasn't that uh, I knew that when he, when he hit me, whenever he hit me, there was an act of love there. An act of very frustrated love, right? But there was an act of love. He wanted to change me. He wanted to make sure I don't do that again. I, only times he hit me when I look back were when I lied to him. I was like, you cannot be lying. You need to be able to tell me the truth. There's a balance of fear and love. The glorious thing about God, what you have to realize is at this moment, there is something called the Shekinah glory. I used to think Shekinah was the Hebrew word for glory. But it's not. 
Kavod, Kavod is the Hebrew word for glory. Shekinah glory, Shekinah is this glory cloud. When as, as uh, Israel is exiting Egypt, God leads them, leads them. He's in the midst of them and he's in the midst of them as this glory cloud. And it's a cloud by day, a fire by night. And we think of this as like this, you know, floating cloud that goes and this, you know, um, pillar of fire at night. But it's really this awe-inspiring glory. It's something that you, it's worthy of following. If you saw a tornado, a, you know, pillar of cloud, or a fire tornado at night, what are you going to do? You're not going to go towards it, right? What's the wise thing to do? You know, let's probably go away from it, right? That's, no, it's not that. It's the glory of God coming down from heaven to earth. And it, it draws you in. And as you come, come and you follow it, wherever it goes, wherever He goes, you go. Because what is this glory? It's that God is in the midst of us. And this is the power of God. This is the same power of God that parts the Red Sea. This is the same power of God that... Um, strikes down the firstborn of Egypt. This is the same power of God that brings in the ten plagues. This is the same power of God that reveals Himself to the people. That shows the people, this is the one who created the heavens and the earth. This is the one. And it's His power. And there's, there's great, there should be great fear in this. But this is not the most glorious thing about God. This is not the reason we follow Him. It's not just His power. It's not just His wrath. What draws us to Him? What is His glory? We see it in Philippians chapter 2. We see it when we look at the cross. Sorry. Anyone else hear that? Um, I thought it was my phone. Um, what is it? It's Jesus. The most glorious thing about God is that even with all that power, all that might, He would go to the cross. There was a story that was told about, um, uh, there's a, a, a famous preacher, he went to, uh, I think it was Dubai, one of the Middle Eastern countries, and he jumped into a car with a cab driver, and the cab driver you know, spoke English, but he was Muslim. And he asked him, you know, like, one of the things I struggle with Christianity is, you know, how can God, how can God punish, you know, punish with uh, eternal, eternal punishment for such a little sin, you know, whatever humanity does. And this person's like, it's not just about, it's not just about who, uh, it's not just about the sin, the crime. It's also about what you, you know, who you do it to. For instance, 
if I, we were driving and in the middle, you get to the red light and I just slap you in the face, what would you do? So I'd, I'd probably kick you out, and yell profanities at you and stuff, you know? And it's like, yeah, that's probably it, that's the extent. But what if we stopped and I got out of your car and I walked over to a policeman and I slapped him in the face, what do you think would happen? Oh, he would probably arrest you and go to jail, right? Oh, yeah. What if, what if I went to the king? Went to the king and slapped him in the face and the cab driver literally was like, oh, God forbid. God forbid that would happen. You know, you, you cannot slap the king. What would, what would probably happen? You'd probably get the death sentence for disrespecting the king of our country. Yeah. Makes sense. Why? It's the same, same crime. I slapped three different people. Three different punishments. But what if I slapped the one who created heaven and earth? What if I disrespected him? What should an eternal being, an eternal God, if I slapped him, what is my punishment? It should be an eternal punishment. And that's, that's what we deserve in our sinfulness. That is the glory of God in His power, but the glory of God in His grace is even greater. That we deserve that eternal punishment. That we deserve all of that, and yet, God forgives us. If I had uh, like immense power and somebody were to disrespect me, it would be harder for me to forgive them. You know? If Mitchell came up and said to me like, you know, um, um, I don't like you. You know? And he poked me in the face like this. You know? I, I keep trying to think of something. This. And he did that. I'd be like, you know what, Mitchell? I'm going to forgive you because you look like you can beat me up, <laughs> right? Uh, it's probably, uh, that's how I'll react. I'm, I'm going to forgive you because you can beat me up. Now, if my son came over and poked me in the face, I'd be like, you know, I'd say, you know, no, you shouldn't have done that. Go to your car, go to your room. It's to, I'd react differently. Why? Because I have much more power over my son. You know, I'm not going to try and pick a fight with Mitchell. You know, it's, I'm not. When you, when you think about God, He has all power, all authority. If you think about Jesus, everything is under His hand. Even before He was born and placed in a manger, all creation was His. And what did he do? He humbled himself, became one of us, lived the life we should have lived. And then he was disrespected. He was slapped. He was spit on. He was tortured and placed upon a cross, died a criminal's death. If it was any of us, as soon as somebody spit on us, 
As soon as somebody slapped us, we would have been like, oh, beep, no, you know? We would have been like, no, you no, 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 this isn't going to happen, you know? I created you, you know? I, literally, I can uncreate you, you know? Like, your life is literally in my hands. Feeling your heart stopping, you know? Like, I would display power instantly. For Jesus to have all that power to know all things and still be able to restrain himself, that is glory. And what made it possible for him to do that? If you look at Philippians chapter 2, he's, he's, his eyes are set on something. For, the, for what is before him, he willingly goes to the cross, humbles himself. And you have to realize, hang on, what did God have before he went to the cross? What did, he, what did Jesus have? Hang on, he had everything. He had all the angels that would worship him. All creation would bow down no matter what. Whether you believe in him or not, at some point, all knees will bow down to him. What did he not have? By not going to the cross, what would he have? He would have. What would he have lost? It's you. You. You are the reason he was able to endure the cross. You were the reason that he loved. That he gave himself. When he could have been like, no, this is disrespect. He said, no, I'll endure this. Even though I could call, at any moment call down legions of angels and just wipe out everyone. No. Why? Because by doing this, I gain you. By doing this, I am sacrificing myself so that you can be mine. This is glory worth following. God is in our midst. The tabernacle, what did the tabernacle represent? The tabernacle was his tent. And this tent, you could fold it up and people would carry it as they moved. They were, uh, you know, Israel was a nomadic people at the time. For 40 years, they, they roamed uh, around the wilderness. And while they roamed, they carried around this tent. And as they would carry around this tent, they would, every time they would stop, they would set up this tent. And the glory of God would come down. Why? Because that tabernacle was where heaven met earth. And whenever the glory of God came down, somebody was allowed to go and commune with God. That tabernacle points us towards Christ. That tabernacle points us towards Jesus. It's just a, a shadow of what Jesus is. You know, when you look at a shadow, when, you know, you don't look at somebody's shadow and go, hey, you know, that's, uh, that's Tara. That, that shadow is Tara. You know, you don't say that. No, that's her shadow. You look at the shadow and you go, no, the person, the person is Tara. And so if you want to see Tara, you look at Tara. If you want to see the shadow, you don't look at the shadow and go, you know, just focus on that. 
A shadow is just something, uh, uh, like a taste of the actual person. The tabernacle is a shadow of Jesus. It's a shadow of who He is. What does it show? That God is with us. The glory of God in all His power and majesty is with us in all His humility and grace. This is a God worth following. You look at the world outside. As we go from here, we will exit. We will exit this from, from this retreat. I'll call it a retreat. Or from this camp. We'll ex- exit this from this camp. And we'll go back into the world. And when we go back into the world, what will happen? We will go into that camp, right? No. As we exit there, we need to be like Moses. We need to go in and we need to say to the king of this world. We need to say to Satan, we need to say to him, let my people go. And we don't say that just by you know, carrying a staff in the middle of the street. Well, you could, you could do that, but probably more effectively. Well, how do we do this? Is we influence the people in our lives. We influence them by showing them the character of God. We show them the love of God. We worship. We worship. We worship what we see glory in. When you worship, how, how often do you worship? We worship, I worship well, once a week, right? On Sunday. Sometimes when you're really holy, you might worship like Friday night. And, you know? There's different times when you... No. God doesn't deserve just a moment of worship. God deserves constant worship. And worship is not just, you know, standing up and singing and listening to some guy talk. No. Worship is all aspects of our lives. It's our service to Him. And so what does worship look like in your life? For many of us, most of our lives is consumed in studies or in work. And it's not fair to say this, is, this takes up more of my time than God. So how do we redeem that? Our studies and work have to be in line with worship to God. I work. Not so that I could uh, make a lot of money and make a name for myself. No. You work because we see our work as something God has called us to. We see our workplace as a mission field. We see our workplace as some way that we are redeeming creation. Uh, A person who picks up garbage on the street, they worship by cleaning the street, by cleaning society. That person who is a a doctor, we worship by being the healing hand of God. That person who is a teacher, we worship by teaching, teaching these younger generations basic skills to get, get through in life. It's not about me. 
It's about how can I serve God and redeem this world for His kingdom. When you study, a lot of you here are studying, and I know the temptation is, study so you can get the grade. No, study so you can worship. Study so you can be equipped in the area God has called you to. Worship Him in your studies. That is a far greater motivation than just getting an A. Worship Him. Worship Him in your studies. Worship Him in your work. Worship Him in your relationships. Worship Him in all areas of your life. Pray continually. Give thanks always. When the world sees us, they need to see something different. There's this thing called the Monday. Monday blues, right? This Monday sucks. It's funny because I... uh, Sunday is probably my busiest day, and uh, when it comes to Monday, uh, it's actually one of my lesser busier days, right? Um, and so I don't get it. I don't get Mondays, why Monday sucks. Like, no, but I worked in construction. And when I worked in construction, I, I would come into work on Monday. I would come into work on Monday, and my drive from home to work is over an hour. And I come into work, it's still dark when I arrive, and I get there a little bit early and I set up and I wait, wait for the morning briefing. And as I'm sitting there waiting, um, people come in and it's Monday. You know, these, these tradies would come in and they're like, some of them are still a little hungover. And they'll come in and, and I'll, what will I say to them? Oi, what do I say to them? I, what do you think I say to them? What's the, what, what's the two words that I'm probably going to say? Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. And they'll look at me and they'll be like, there is, it should be a crime of how happy you are right now. Right? Why? Why should it be a crime? Because for them, they're going into work. For me, for me, I've come into worship. For me, I'm building a building, a building, a building that will be used so that power equipment can be fixed, so that um, there'll be electricity in somebody's house, in some hospital for life support, in some, somebody's, somebody's light so that they can read the Bible. I see purpose in it. And so there's great joy in coming into work. For them, at first, it was like, this guy's weird. But after a while, they're like, hang on. While everybody else is miserable, this guy's loving life. I want what he has. You know, and it's, it's amazing. These people who have never, you know, ever heard about Jesus other than him, it being a swear word. They would come to me and they'd be like, can you pray for me? You know, I would not ask this of anyone. But I think you're somebody who loves God, who, ha- who knows God. Can you pray for me? I'm going through this. And, you know, I, that wasn't my motivation in doing all of this. But 
God is working. God is, God is using you. God will use you as, you as you worship Him in all aspects of your life. People around you will notice. And you'll begin to influence them. And the more and more, as we go down from here, if each of you, if each of you spends more time in their work, more time during the week worshiping, Spending time with God, doing His work. Then, there'll be a great, great fire in Melbourne. There'll be a great, great act of glory in Melbourne. There'll be a revival. People will wake up. People will will turn and they'll say, I want what these people have. And it all starts with us looking, looking at His glory, looking not just at His power. God can do anything. But looking at His humility and grace, God, even though He could do anything, He sacrificed Himself to love me. To see that and live out that glory to follow Him, to constantly be following Him. And as you do that, you'll make disciples around you. People will see that and say, I want what this person has. I'm going to close us in prayer now. And as I close us in prayer, um, I want us to just uh, uh, spend some time with God, spend time uh, just praying between you and God and ask Him to reveal... Um, just think of your current situation, the people in your, that you're closest to, um, the work that you're doing, the study that you're doing, and ask God to, to claim those things, to redeem those things for His kingdom. That you would live not for yourself, not for your own glory, not for the glory of this world, but that you would live for His glory. Let's spend a few few moments uh, just praying spending time doing that and then I will close after a few moments let's, let's pray given us a purpose given us a call thank you. make us yours and so Lord I pray that we would go that we would live out the life Dear Heavenly Father, we, we thank you. We thank you that your glory is not just in your power, it's not just in your, in your great works, but that your glory is also in your grace, in sending your Son. And so, Lord, as we look to that glory. May that glory never leave our eyes. May our gaze be constantly glued to that, that beauty that is you. And Lord, as we keep our eyes focused on you, Lord, I pray that all aspects of our lives 
will be redeemed, that you would use it to glorify your name. Lord, may everything we do be a worship to you. May you be that all-consuming fire that consumes every aspect of our lives. Lord, use us as we go from here and we return back to this world. Lord, may you use us to lead, to lead people into Exodus and into your arms. Lord, I pray for your blessings on the people here. I pray for your continued work. I pray for uh, the leaders as they continue to minister to your people. Lord, may you be with us through all of this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.